Okay, the authorities mm -hmm. gave a seven-year-old mm -hmm. the authority to look after his mother and his sister, mm. and and my, when my mother was bedridden with it. Wow. How do you feel now? How do you feel now? Is a podcast bringing together people with similar life stories to talk about their shared histories the way it has shaped their past and how they have or have not reconciled with it in their present. This is a space for vulnerable conversations about lived experiences that have molded us, inspired by my memoir, Little Big Man. Hey guys, I'm Stanley J. Brown, an actor, author and singer-songwriter. Welcome to How Do You Feel Now? Thank you for joining me. Today, I will be in conversation with a dear friend and fellow knowledge seeker, BBC Antiques Road Soul specialist and author, the Mr. Ronnie Archer Morgan. In this episode, we explore our shared history of growing up with mental disorder in the household. Ronnie, man. <laughs> you know what? It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you again. Pleasure's all mine. You know, you know, as we, you know, we've had this conversation. The way we met at the Foundling Museum. Crazy. And the fact that, you know, as we've mentioned, uh, I didn't know you had written a book. Yeah, you didn't know I had written a book. No, I didn't. And but I, it was Lem Sissay. Exactly. That got me there. And, and his Lem story had kind of... Mm -hmm. Uh, some I had connections with his story. Yeah, and 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 ironically, it was Lem who got me there too. Good and old Lem. The thing is, up until that point, I haven't I hadn't even met Lem, right? Really, really, exactly. <laughs> so, but what was ironic was, I remember there was like what forty of us, at least more right? from all walks of life. Yeah, and for some reason, I gravitated towards yourself. And I approached you, you know, and the rest is history. Like, like the way I approached you and we connected and we spoke and there was just something about um, our energies that connected each other. We had no idea that we had similar stories. We had no idea we had similar experiences. And it just blossomed from there. No, none whatsoever. I mean, I'd rushed there, so my mm -hmm. head was in a bit of a spin. And there was a sea of people mm. and very close to the start of, of, of that occasion, you approached me mm -hmm. and gave me your card. Well, actually, you gave me your card. Oh, you, <laughs> you gave me your card. And I tell you, I must say, and thank you again for giving me your card, because you know what you did? Not only did you give me your card, we had a few words, because it was, firstly, we have to say, we have to you know, set this up here. It was an overwhelming experience with, to meet all these men, women who had been through the care system, who have come out the other end, who have done well with their lives. Lem Sese and, you know, you know too many names to, to repeat. But what was nice was when I connected with yourself, you pulled out your card, mm. you took out a pen and you wrote your personal email. Mm on it mm. and I and then you said to me if you ever need any help or support or if I can be of any service anyway 
feel free to reach out to me. That's my personal email there. And that stayed with me. And I thought, wow, look at that. I, I, I felt like someone had seen me, if that makes sense. No, I think I did, actually. You know? Yeah. Even though you know, we had a brief conversation. And then, you know. Um, I, think it's the, I think it's a graciousness in a person that I connect with. A graciousness in a person shows that they see you. They mm -hmm. see others. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're aware of other people's space and other people's needs. And there was something in your very, very brief approach mm. that gave me the confidence and, and the, to do that. Because mm -hmm. I don't put my um, email on mm -hmm. most of my book you know, promotional cards. Right, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I, for me, I felt grateful, you know, that you had done that. And then we fast forward the tape. Months later, I'm having my book launch at mm. Boyle's Bookstore mm. in the events room. And we had toyed with like, right, who can we get? Who can we get? Who can I get? Who can we get? A few names are thrown into the hat. And as the time passed, I thought, Ah, you know who I would love to interview me, but you know what? He's probably too busy anyway. Nah, he wouldn't have. Nah, he's on the Antiques Roadshow. He's filming here. He's filming there. He ain't got no time. He, nah, nah, he wouldn't have time. But you know what? Let me check just in case. And I, and I emailed you and said, hey, I know you're a busy man, but just in case, if there was any possibility, would you be up for interviewing me for my book and when you responded with like what date, what date is it on etc and I gave you the date and you said oh I'm actually free that evening and I'd be more than happy to interview you I'd be just the man for the job I was like I was I was, I was, I was touched mate really touched well from my it, for me it's about giving back you know I think I'm the I'm a product of charity if you like. Mm -hmm. I've been through the care system like <laughs> properly through the care system. Mm -hmm. Rinsed out, wrung out, absolutely dragged out, dragged through. Absolutely. And it's and it's all supported me. And I always thought when I was in care that when I grew up, if ever I could give a little bit back, yeah, I would make the time. You know, I'm an ambassador for action for children. Mm -hmm. Um my myself, I've worked with Fatima Whitbread, who mm. by the way is beyond extraordinary wow she is a force to be reckoned with she wow. was on a world stage she came from a care background and she was on the world stage in the olympics mm. performing wow. for wow. this country and i tell you when you're with her 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 energy mm -hmm. and and the amazing woman she is you just you just you're in awe Beautiful. and anyway so i i've worked with her and we've mm. gone to Wales to mentor mm. a, a, a child in care that could have been me, could have been you. Wow. And I just, so when you approached me, mm -hmm. it, I, I'll make time. I don't care if I'm busy, you know. You know what was powerful as well is when you agreed to do it and, um, you know, the, the publisher sent you the manuscript <laughs> and, you know, we had each other's um, phone numbers and you, you messaged me. I was filming at the time, um, working on this feature. You was filming, and we was we was messaging each other in between filming. <laughs> and you're like, "Hey, your story, the parallels between us, 
is is crazy. Have, have you read my book? <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, I haven't read your book. What, what do you mean? I assumed you had. And you assumed I had. So I said, right, I'm going to get your book. And because I wanted to dig into it straight away, I got it on audio. And plus, I wanted to hear your vocals too. And um, I, I got it on audio straight away. And I was just like, I couldn't, I'm still like goosebumps, right? I'm listening to your story and I'm hearing mine. I'm listening to your journey Vice to versa. have a schizophrenic mother. I, I had a schizophrenic mother. A schizophrenic mother who we loved, who we defended, who we would have gone to the moon and back for, yet we were brutalized by the, our mothers. The victim of, of, of their, their illness. Of their, exactly. But to and our demise. To our demise. Yeah. To our demise. And when I read the brutality that you faced, and I was, I, and like we said before, when we had, when we, when we, when we had a cup of tea before we come in here, that to go through what we went through, to be brutalized and, 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 you know, go through all that trauma and what we, you know, as, as kids, and, you know, to, to then come out the other end and be here today. But we were children. We were just kids, you know, who, who knew no better. You know what I mean? And we're just left to kind of fend for ourselves. We're left to kind of help to, you know, raise our siblings and be there for our schizophrenic mums. And up until that point, I thought it was just my story. Mm. <laughs> you know, I did not think one day I'm going to meet someone with almost an identical story, even though we went off on different paths, but them early years. Yeah. You know? That was just powerful, powerful. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's this thing that people don't, can't know that when you're six, seven, mm. you actually have to take care of your family, mm. properly take care of your family. Mm. You have to cook, clean, uh, wash, launder, shop, manage the money yeah. when you're six and seven years old. Yeah. And people... You almost forget it by the time you're an adult, but it's in you. Yeah. It's there forever, and you just don't think that anybody could actually stand in those, the, the, those adult shoes of a child. Absolutely. Hence why I chose the title Little Big Man exactly. for my book, um, because there's a Jamaican saying, saying as well, them say, you're little but you're talawa. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. You're little but you're talawa, yeah. meaning... You're small, but you're big, mm. and you're big inside, not, in, not in physically, but big inside. And as you just talked about, growing up way before our time, way before our time. I told you before, I was actually given the authority to do it. Mm. That, this is where we talk about the, the mental health issues. The authorities didn't understand. They knew my mother was schizophrenic because mm -hmm. she was in and out of institutions like yours. Mm -hmm. She was on medication, which she would hide, which, she, mm -hmm. you know, when you told me you found all her medication, oh. I just thought, that's what happens. And we know with schizophrenia mm -hmm. that, that when you take your medication and you feel good, you think you don't need the medication anymore. Absolutely. And so you um, stop taking it. And that's when you absolutely spiral into, the, into a worse condition. Exactly. And 
the worst thing about that is the system doesn't support or didn't support back then. I'm not sure how it is today, but I remember when my mum relapsed, and it, I talk about this in my book, I begged the doctor, I begged the doctor to give my mum medication or give me something I could put in her tea or whatever, you know. I'm just a kid, I don't know no better. But they say, unless they're a danger to themselves and others, there's nothing they, they can, can do. do. So they have to literally wait for this it's person it's to arrive at a place of total insanity yeah. bef before they actually when, step when in and do something. When they're beyond desperate and Absolutely. they step in. When it, but that's when it's too late. Too late. This is the point I'm, I was making. The authorities mm -hmm. gave a seven-year-old mm -hmm. the authority to look after his mother and his sister mm. and and my, when my mother was bedridden with it. Wow. Rather than taking us away and caring for us and then administering care for her, they gave a seven-year-old authority to take responsibility crazy. for it all. Crazy. Which is beyond crazy. Ludicrous. You know, and I was doing the laundry, I was getting the family allowance, I was feeding and dressing my sister and getting her to school mm. and I was administering medication to my mother at seven wow. with the authority of the authorities. Wow, crazy, absolutely crazy. <laughs> and so that, why I mention that is it shows how little they understand about the condition. Yeah. They understand so little about how mental health issues mm you know affect families how they impact yeah. on a seven my sister was six on a seven-year-old's lives mm. so little do they understand the impact of that that they give the seven-year-old authority Crazy. and responsibility to take care of it you know coming in on that when i hear you share that what comes to my mind is i'm transported back to when i was five years old and my mum was first she wasn't even actually diagnosed, really, until I was probably seven. But I remember seeing in the, the early sign, my mum talking to herself, talking to people that weren't there. <laughs> I know that right? so well. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> so well. People weren't there, writing on the wall. You know, she was a great mathematician. She used to be an accountant, writing all these kind of equations on the wall that just didn't make any sense, you know. Um, but what comes to my mind when you just share that is, the way the system was designed for us to fail. The system was designed for us to fail. It wasn't designed to be supportive. It wasn't designed to, to care. It wasn't designed to help. Um, for me back then, growing up as a child and listening to what you've just shared, what it triggers for me is them early years of feeling so alone with it all. No one to really turn to, to get that support. You know, myself and my siblings used to sit on the stairs and we'd be like, oh, maybe, maybe mum didn't have us. Maybe, maybe if mum didn't have us, she would, she would be better and she could be living in Jamaica with, 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 without being the way she is. Maybe, maybe, maybe we should be, you know, blaming ourselves. You know, Mine we wasn't like the question. Seven, Mine you know? wasn't the question because, as you know, schizophrenia mm -hmm. manifests itself differently in everybody and, and my I didn't have that question maybe mm. it's me I knew it was me because right. my mother told me every day it was me wow the reason she was ill was because of me wow, <laughs> wow. she told me you know as you probably read Powerful, and she yeah. blamed me 
or everything that was wrong with her and her life. Mm. So I didn't have that. I didn't ask myself that question. So I was carrying the guilt for her yeah. illness as well. Wow. You know, and I really thought it was me. That's why I allowed her to abuse me, I guess, mm. because I believed she made me, she gaslit me mm. with, through her illness into believing that I deserved it. Mm. You know, oh. I, de I deserved to have my hands held over the, the, the you know, the, oh, the flames on the gas. Yeah, I remember that part. You know, yeah. you know that was, I, I deserved it. That was going to make me a, a better person and, mm. and maybe... Um, absolve her of her illness. <laughs> you know, the, you know another thing as well. I, I loved you know, her through all this. I was, I was just coming to that. <laughs> is again what we what we spoke about is the love that we had for our mothers, because you know, as a child, it's that it's the umbilical cord, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's that emotional attachment. It's that deep seated attachment. No, even though we're, we're being abused, we're being brutalized, but the love, knowing full well. And I, I think I could speak for myself. I knew mum wasn't well. I knew something was up. Even though, okay, in, with your situation, it was different that mum, you know, blamed you. What we got was th two sides, three sides, sometimes four sides of mum. You know, you just didn't know where you stood at any given time. And I remember at one point it came, it came to, it, 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 it it came to a head where mum, sadly, we weren't allowed to even look my mother in the eyes. You know, that if you looked mum in the eyes, that was it. Boom, bang, bing, bang, boom. She would go crazy. I think, I Absolutely think, that, crazy. I, I think that's a common thing with schizophrenia. Mm. When, when, because I think subliminally, deep down, Mm -hmm. They know what's going on, what's happened. They know what they're doing to their children. Mm. And then uh, looking them in the eye, connecting so strongly through that visual connection, eye to eye, mm. it, 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 all the guilt and responsibility surfaces and they can't deal with what they're doing. Absolutely. And they think you see them. Mm. And so the only way they could deal with you seeing mm. what they're doing to you, mm. they have to react to that with violence mm. because they can't rationalize it. They can't deal with it vocally or with affection. Mm. And, and what they're doing is attacking themselves. Mm -hmm. They're attacking themselves. It's the self-blame. And they think that you are seeing them for what it is. It really is. You know what? Um, being children in that setting, not knowing the dynamics of, of exactly what schizophrenia entailed, because I remember up until that point, we didn't even have a name for it. <laughs> you know? Nor did we. It was only later on that we found out, oh, it's this name called schizophrenia. What I couldn't even pronounce. All I knew is, all we knew was that mum was mad. Yeah. Mum was mad. I didn't and know another... what schizophrenia was till I was out of her custody when right. I was a teenager. I didn't know. When I was with her, I never knew and, that name. And I remember looking, you know, like, as I mentioned, we, could, we weren't allowed to look mum in the eyes. Otherwise, she would just go off on you. <laughs> Such a weird right? memory because I, I never and, did because I knew she'd kick off. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I remember once, right, and I talk about this in my book, when my mum 
held me against the wall, told me to relax and look into her eyes. She gave me permission to look into her eyes. And I remember I was literally, I was so scared that I started laughing. <laughs> because, you know, that's what happens in it. You're, you're, yeah, you're, 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 How old were you? I, at the time, I was something like six. Wow. Right? <laughs> Very she said, young. She said, look into my eyes. Relax, relax. And she was massaging my shoulders. Looks okay, relax. She held me, pushed me up against the wall. So I had nowhere to go. And when I finally did relax, she released and unleashed a deafening blow into my stomach. And all the wind in me just left my body. Mm. And I could not breathe for, for, for the life of me. But the point I wanted to make about that is, while I was looking into my mum's eye, I was searching for my mummy. And for a, for a little moment, I'll never forget, I was looking deep, thinking, where's my mummy? Where is she? Because I could see the person looking back at me was not my mum. Mm. Was not my mum. And, you know... That was the, her um, alter ego. Well, it's the illness. Yeah, it's the illness, which is all the illness and an alter ego. There's another, there's another person in that illness, another person that isn't her. Absolutely, develops through that illness. And but also, I, just before I forget, go on. I believe that eye to eye connection mm -hmm. from a sick person with schizophrenia looking at the person who's the victim of their illness, mm -hmm. they see. Their pain in your eyes and, yeah. and your pain in mm -hmm. your eyes. So they've got this double whammy of, of realisation and it's unbearable for them. Absolutely. And I think for me, as a child, searching for mummy, you know, you're, you see the illness looking back. And I get it when you, with the alter ego. But also, I also understand now later on, she had gone through some stuff herself as a child. And what was coming out was not only the alter ego, but her own pain, her own trauma. Exactly. was what and I just said. Exa yeah. Exactly. That, that was being um, put out and taken out on us. Mm. I'm looking at a little extract from my book, and it says, maybe if someone had spoken to me about how I felt, I might have told them how I lay awake longing for life to go back to the way it was because I knew my mum before she was sick you know and when I was five before five years old mum used to wake up bake bread she used to have blues parties you know we used to get a good breakfast before school anyway it talks about I was terrified of mum how I worried about her too and my sisters how I had constant grinding in my belly how I didn't understand that mum couldn't simply be fixed you know when i when i read that back you know and we're talking about this now I, as a child i couldn't fully understand i couldn't grasp that my mom could not be fixed your arm's broken you can fix it you break a finger you can fix it you break your leg your toe whatever i'm thinking why can't does someone just fix my mom's mind you know and you know the title of this particular um, session that we're having, this podcast, is about how do you feel now? When I look at that title and I think, how do I feel now with everything that I've gone through? It's almost tricky to answer 
because as we talked about earlier, we survived so much trauma. You know, we talked about the alchemy, yeah? We survived so much trauma. We used the alchemy to our benefit to turn things around, to, to, to create, to, to reinvent ourselves, yeah? Mm. For me, how do I feel now? It's almost like there's so many different feelings that's in place of, especially writing this book, I feel vindicated is one of them. The feeling of vindication and why I say vindication is I feel like, right, it wasn't my fault. I did the best I could do with what the cards were, with the cards I had been dealt, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel a sense of euphoria to break free from my past, being able to do stuff like what we're doing now, having this chat for this, pod, this mm-hmm. podcast. And there's so many others out there who are just like us, who have gone through similar experiences, who can relate and identify to what we're saying, you know? Mm. I just want to go back go a bit to that, the child or the children we were mm. in that situation. And one thing that I connected with or, or that I relate to is, is you wanted your mum to be fixed. Mm-hmm. And I think every day I woke up or every day I came back from school or after every beating, mm-hmm. I would wish, I would think, right, she's going to get better. From now on, it's going to be better. You know, I love her. She loves me, really. She's only doing this to me because she loves me. And, every, and, and I maintained mm-hmm. that, that hope and that optimism through it all. That carried me. And that optimism was fueled by my love of creativity. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I, I would be elevated through drawing, going mm-hmm. to museums, listening to music, whatever, you know, what was going on in my imagination would mm-hmm. elevate me and give me hope that, you know, there was hope over the horizon and mm-hmm. that from now on she wasn't going to be so awful to me yeah. and that she would start to get better. So it was through creativity mm-hmm that I survived emotionally mm. and the excitement of learning new things about and, and seeing what humanity, what humans could create, seeing beautiful paintings mm. in a museum or seeing beautiful animals in the park or in the Natural History Museum in, in cases and stuff. And I remember um, taking my sister to Ken Wood when I was seven. Mm. And Kenwood, as you know, it's a little museum on Hampstead Heath and it's got, you know, a gallery of paintings and miniatures and some furniture and so on. Mm, And I was excited to take my sister and get out of Mm -hmm. uh, that that abusive home environment because my sister received a very different approach from my mother. My mother's schizophrenia saw my sister differently than she saw me. Mm. My sister was the youngest. And, you know, I had the uh, responsibility of taking care of her. As I said, when my mother was ill, I had to dress her, feed her, get her to school and so on. But my sister would say, I love you to my sister, but I hate Ronnie. Mm. So my sister's experience of my mother's schizophrenia absolutely wasn't like yours, Stanley, Mm. and it wasn't mine. So, so your mum would say to your sister, she loves you, 
My I mum mean, was she, sorry, to... she loved your sister, but, yeah. but hates you. Yeah. Wow. In front of you. Yeah, in front of my wow. sister. Wow. So my sister grew up mm. um, with her, her security was me being punished and her being loved. Wow. So, I mean, you know, when you, when you read my account, it, mm. it becomes clear towards the end of, of, of my account of, of, of the memoir. So it's, it's a very different, I felt, responsibility. for, And I'm also my sister was encouraged to punish me, verbally abuse me, and occasionally to hit me. Mm. Um, which my mother, you know, my mother. So it's, it's kind of shocking in a way. Mm. So, but at the same time, I didn't blame it, as you read in my account, I didn't blame my sister. And I actually felt sorry for her mm-hmm. that she had to do this. And she, she was compelled to do what her mother told her to do mm-hmm. you know yeah. mum's the boss absolutely yeah mum's yeah, the yeah. authority and you do what mummy says and so at the same time i felt absolute total responsibility for my sister yeah. for her welfare i thought she was beautiful mm-hmm. i wanted to see her well dressed i wanted to see the world admiring her i had no resentment mm-hmm. for her her verbal abuse um, encouraged by my mother on me, or physical from time to time. So when mm. we went out, I was, I, I was responsible. Mm. Anything happened, anybody approached her, looked at her, yeah. you know, I was going to protect my sister. And, you know, where I can relate or identify with you in your story is I was the eldest son. And so four siblings, my sister, Angie, first, a year later, me a year later my sister Minnie and nine years later my brother Huggy and as the eldest son of the house hence again little big man you know I was man of the house and I felt a huge responsibility to my two sisters and I felt very protective of them and them being female and me being male especially in primary school and on the streets when we went out to play. Um, and because I felt like I innately felt this protective kind of uh, love, so to speak, because A, we had different dads, B, mum was unstable, you know, and C, we didn't really have anyone in our camp, you know, as time ticked on and my mum's illness got worse or all the friends and family that mum had, her, her support mechanism just slowly started to disintegrate simply because she stopped letting them in. And I remember going to primary school and, um, you know, I was a bit of a, a, a rebel, in fact, more than a rebel, you know. I was one of those kids you didn't want to be in school with. <laughs> you, you didn't want to go to school. And in fact, in fact, you know, and I've made amends and I've apologised. In fact, I've bumped into old primary school classmates or whatever. And one guy I bumped into, he, he's also an actor as well. And I saw him at an audition. And I hadn't seen him for years and years. And he's like, oh, Stanley, oh, my God. And we're like, wow, was that you? Wow, we hugged. Let's go for a cup of tea after. Come, we went for a cup of tea. And he says, and he's looking at me and I'm talking. He's looking at me in a very odd way. And I could see that there's something he wants to say. So I said, what's happening? And he goes, 
do you remember that time? <laughs> I said, what, what time? He said, do you remember that time um, when I lived in the tower blocks in Stoke Newington and you was walking past and I shouted out something and when you looked up, I would hide. And then you waited around the corner or at the, the bottom of the estate and then I looked out and then you came running out and said, I see ya. You wait till you come to school, right? <laughs> I've completely forgot about it. He said, I shat myself. He said, I didn't go to school for about three days, <laughs> right? Because of the reputation I had. But leading up to that is, the reason for my reputation at that time in primary school where I was just a total rebel and I would go and terrorize kids and the teachers was because home life wasn't good. But I also felt this need to be protective over my sisters, my siblings. And I remember another incident that no one in the school could mess with my kid, my family. Nobody. Nobody could mess with my family. Everybody knew Stanley Brown. Nobody could mess with my family. And another thing, I used to protect. If you was being bullied, right, you used to come to me. Didn't care if you was black, white, whatever. I had exactly then, the same experience. And then one time, I'll just end on this. One time, some little girl was being bullied. I think she was white. My mate went and got her, grabbed her, brought her to me, right, and said, go on, tell Stanley what happened. And she's like, oh, this guy, blah, 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 blah. And I said, hold the ball. You know, he's playing football. I said, show me the guy. You know, we went up to him, roughed him up. And I said, you see, that's my cousin, right? From now on, this is my cousin. And the guy looked at me. I'm black, she's white. <laughs> and I can clearly see he was like, what? Confused. I said, you messed with my cousin again? You left me to deal with, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I protected any victim of bullying in my school. I had a fight every single day mm -hmm. in my primary mm -hmm. school. It was just the relief. Same. I was getting such a battering Same. at home. And now when I look back, mm -hmm. it's, it must have been the release from the physical battering I was getting. Yeah. Yeah, and I would have a fight every day. Anybody started on anybody, and I was in there. Likewise, and and anybody was being bullied. I would actually sit with the victims and tell them mm. how to deal with it and show them how to fight yep. or fight for them. Even guys that were t twice my height. I, I remember mm -hmm. jumping up to one guy because I couldn't reach to punch him in the face <laughs> and dragging and, him down on the ground. And when I got him on the ground, I gave him such a battering for bullying somebody. And I I remember listening to that part in your in your book. <laughs> And I, again, the parallels between us are just crazy, right? And I remember when I read, you know, or listened to that part, and I was thinking, wow, look at that. You know, this word codependency, this word caretaking, this word, you know, because I, I was a caretaker. You know, I was that codependent kid who not only would, you know, look after my own siblings, but would caretake others who were being like bullied and whatnot. And at the time, I didn't really fully understand it, but it's a part of my DNA. It's innate, it's in me now because I stepped up to the plate to, you know, in my book, I talk about it, you know, having to steal food off a doorstep to feed um, my sisters. And then when my brother came along nine years bloody later, that was it. You know, we had this young mouth to feed. Um, and I remember having a conversation with my two sisters and we all sat down on the stairs. So the stairs in our house, it was like a big Victorian house. 
that was where we held our conferences. That where mm-hmm. that's was where we had our meetings, and some serious debate. Like, what are we gonna do? Like, that we're gonna have to look after it. Do you know what I mean? How can Mum be pregnant um, this time? And um, so, for me, that whole you know, caring and caretaking, and you know that. Strangely early enough, codependency stem from there. I still have that innate caretaking tendency mm-hmm. in my character. I mean, it was actually edited out the book. I mean, the, my book became a word count project. And so lots mm-hmm. of um, stories were e- extracted. Mm-hmm. But the one story that I'd written down was I was in a club one night, well, you know, as, a, as an adult. And um, in my 30s, I think, and, and some guy, quite a big guy, was punching his girlfriend in the face. And I was right the far end of the club. Mm. And I just thought, this is none of my business. A bouncer will come and stop mm-hmm. this. And before I knew it, I was on top of him on the ground, about wow. to put my fist through his face. Mm. And he was like good six inches bigger than me. Mm. And it was that thing. And, wow. I, and I didn't even know how I got past the tables, across the dance floor, through the crowds to wow. get at him. Wow. And it was just, I was just there astride him and I actually thrown him into a chair and I was, the chair, he was sitting in the chair but on his back, <laughs> on the floor with me astride him, pinned, pinning him to the ground. So I'm just saying I've still got that yeah, thing. That, yeah, likewise, likewise. You but know, I'm, as an adult. Same, and I'm, I'm, and I'm honestly, the amount of therapy I've had, the amount of courses I've done, anger management, you name it, all, all sorts of stuff as well as looking at my, you know, codependency and the inner child, little Stanley, you know, to redress the balance, basically, because, you know, again, you know, we're kids, you're kids, we don't know any better. Um, and, you know, being, and I felt for me, wearing the title, the man of the house, even though I'm like six, I'm seven, do you know what I mean? But I'm the man of the house in my head. I'm like, right, I've got to defend, man. I've got to protect, do you know what I mean? Well, I was actually, like I was telling you earlier, obviously I had that title in my head because the authorities gave it to me. Mm. You know, mm. when they gave me three that months of school yeah. Yeah. to yeah. be play the role of the breadwinner and the caretaker. That's crazy. But, but it was still, I still have to come back that it's all managed and how I feel now mm-hmm. is all managed through creativity. Yeah. It, yep. it, it is the, 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 the gift of creativity mm-hmm. that nurtures hope and optimism and the belief, the, 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 the constant continuing be- belief mm. that tomorrow is going to be all right. Absolutely. You know what? One in four children between the age of 0 and 16 have a mother with a mental illness. When I first read that, mm-hmm. I was astounded at the numbers. It's an incredible right? statistic. It's incredible because, again, you know, our stories, us meeting each other, I didn't think there was many others like us, right, to be honest. When you hear one in four, you know what I mean? And you think to yourself, behind closed doors, what are they doing to cope? Where's the support? You know, what can I do to help? Because, again, it comes back to my caretaking and that codependent side of me. Straight away, I want to think, right, what, can, what can I do to help? Well, I think our books and are exactly, to create that awareness. And, and that's what I was coming on to. Like, for me, when I, you know, this title of how do I feel now, you know, writing that book, 
was such a catalyst, even though I'd done a lot of recovery work within myself and, you know, working on my own personal development, I felt right in my memoir was the, how can I put it, the main, it was like, if, I'm, if I use the analogy of, you know, three-course meal, mm. right in that analogy was the, the main course. That, you know, you know, the starters and all of that stuff, the main course of my life to be able to put into words the journey, the trauma, the experiences um, that, that brought me to where I am today and who I am today. Um, and I want to ask you yourself, you know, having gone through the, that journey, written your own memoir, etc. How's that left you feeling? Um, I feel it's a journey. It's a never-ending journey you're still on. Mm. Um, I feel actually a sense of privilege mm-hmm. that life has thrown this stuff at me. Mm. And they say life doesn't um, give you anything that you can't deal with. Mm-hmm. That's what they say. But it's just... Uh-huh. A lot of people don't make it. Yeah, a lot of people don't make uh, it. Uh, Absolutely. I still feel privileged that I was given the opportunity that life thought we're going to really give Ronnie the hardest time possible mm. because we believe in him. Yeah. And so I believe in myself and I, I believe that I can overcome almost anything. It doesn't feel like that at the time, I must tell you. Of course. But in retrospect, I look back and think, I can do this. And that I was given the privilege of being given the toughest, toughest gig possible, mm. and that I could turn it around, and and find the alchemy in the worst possible scenarios, mm. and you know, I think the message through my book is that you can. It's a bit like Terry Waite. You can be given the worst scenarios mm. and, you can, and there's a positive side. And the positive yeah. side of suffering, abuse, is showing people how you can pull yourself out of the, mm. the, 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 the mire mm-hmm. of abuse. Yeah. And, and what you do with that abuse is you can show people how to deal with it. Yeah. This is my experience. I've been abused, and through creativity, I've risen above everything and actually enjoy life, and I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't my fault. Yeah. And you can show all the, the dichotomies involved, yeah. how you can love someone that's abusing you, how you, you, you get gaslit through that abuse, how you you're ashamed of it, how you cover it up. Why, when we look at that statistic of Mm. one in four is, Mm -hmm. because the nature of abuse is you don't want the world to see it. So we all conceal it. And that is where the trouble starts. Mm. You have to shed light on on bad things. If you bury bad things, they will eat at your soul, they will eat at your mental health. And fester. And fester. And so... Our journeys and shedding light on that dreadful stuff that people mm. don't want to believe exists mm. is the healing process. And, and, and 
that's how I see it. So, you know, my, mm. my problem, why I, would, why I was in therapy for 10 years in my 30, mm. was because I'd buried it. I didn't mm -hmm. want to talk about it. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I mm -hmm. felt guilt. And through 10 years of therapy, mm -hmm. I learned that it is, sh it is sh shedding light on abuse mm. that heals it. Absolutely. And, and that's what our memoirs do. Wonderful. And you know what? As you were talking, I felt emotional listening to you there because, you know, I consider you like a brother. <laughs> like you know what I mean and, and I you you know genuinely. honestly gen and that's you know, genuinely we, proper love I, I can and also feel it. and we, we you know we feel it don't we yeah, yeah as soon yeah. as we met you know we did the interview you know with, with my but, but also what, this journey this, this love yeah it, this kind of memoirs it, it's actually about love mm. you love yourself absolutely you love the people that you love your yes. abusers it's and, about love, and love triumphs overall. Absolutely. You, you and, love creativity, you yeah. love art, you love the excellence of humanity, and you and, expose the bad in humanity mm -hmm. by showing it love. And I, and I, using the word love, I loved what you said about being privileged, right? This word privilege, because not everybody makes it. Not everybody who came from where we came from I don't know anybody. Right? Makes it. Not everybody becomes uh, a, a, an antique road, star, road, <laughs> road show <laughs> specialist. Do you know what I mean? Not everyone becomes an actor. And not everybody writes a memoir. Not everybody writes a memoir. And the thing is, you know, as I said, I, I, was, I was being quite touched by the way you kind of encompassed that and described everything. Is... You know, when I think of, you know, um, other kids out there who are going through similar plight we face, um, I think, wow, how many of them, how many of them are going to actually make it? How many of them are going to come to the other side? You know, I grew up in Hackney, in the darkest, deepest parts of Hackney. I grew up in the bush. Where, and you, yeah, you're <laughs> on the Labra other side Grove, of the west, right? When there were race riots, right, you know, and, around me. And in, in my years of growing up in Hackney... The streets covered was, in dog poo. Oh, mate, tell me it was, about it. It was, it was appalling. Was, not only was dog poo, there, there was bin strikes, rats, and all kind of something. Oh, Back then, it was a whole heap of dogs on the street, yeah? <laughs> because they feral, had this feral dogs. infestation of just dogs. I remember it just being rough. And but what was also rough was there was no support in the sense of there wasn't much for the youngsters to do. And when I was part of that street life and hanging out and getting up to crime and, and doing all kinds of stuff with me that I talk about in the book, you know, I'm like, what was the chances of me coming out the other side and becoming a Shakespearean actor, ending up, ending up at the Globe, ending up at the Edinburgh Fringe, playing Othello and whatnot? What's the chance of you yourself you know, getting into antiques, ending up on the antiques roadshow as one of the main, the main person, main men, you know? I just, I actually and, see it as par for the course for you and I. Yeah. And what it is that gets in the way of other people doing that is they believe that their abuse, the abuse they've suffered through domestic mental illness of, of parents or siblings, mm -hmm. they believe it's a millstone around their neck. Mm. I believe it is the road to salvation. Yeah. 
Yeah. I do. You just have to see it for that. Why have I been given this awful burden, this awful pain? Oh, I know. It's so that I can show other people mm. how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. I'm the lucky one. I've been given the lesson, the, uh, the, the, the instruments of battle, of war. I've been shown how they work. <laughs> I've been yeah. shown that y I, I've been given the baton to carry to mm. show how people who's the one in four people that suffer this awful trauma mm. can manage. I'm the lucky one because I've got to now carry this up the mountain. I've got to learn how to deal with it myself. And I'm going to carry this up the mountain. And when I get to the top, I'm going to show the world, you one in four <laughs> are the privileged. <laughs> yeah. And you will triumph yeah. over everybody because you've powerful, been given the, 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 the experience. You've yeah. been given the tools. Absolutely. All those, the, the other three of the four that haven't been given the tools are less than us. Yeah. Because they don't, they don't have our wonderful worldly experience. And, you know, about coming in on that, sometimes, you know, me and my sisters, uh, my brother, we talk, we like, you know what? When you go through such adversity, yeah? When you face such trauma, it almost, you become almost desensitized, yeah, to anything that wants to um, mess with you in the sense of, you know, when you lose a job, relationship, all this kind of stuff, you kind of build this armor to basically cope with everyday life. Exactly. We're friends who haven't gone through half the stuff that we've gone through will struggle and find it even 10 times as hard. That's why we're the elite. Cope. Yeah. And so with what you just shared made me, brought me back to how me and my sisters were reasoning about this. And fast forward to the tape, when we met at the family museum, I went around and, you know, I met yourself and I spoke to a few other people. And there were these two sisters and I can't remember their name, their names. We had a little chat. And what we talked about, they said, do you sometimes feel like you've got like super superhero powers and i'm like i thought that was me and my sisters who just thought that <laughs> you know like the, some kind of and we're not saying superhero powers as in like me fire you know lightning and all that kind of stuff we're talking about super hero powers to be able to cope with life on life's terms to be able to the will to the will to live no matter what life throws at us so therefore, it makes you feel like you have these superhero powers, so to speak, to keep going no matter what. I've asked people the same question, and I've said, you know, I say sometimes I feel like a giant. Mm. I feel like I can conquer the world. Not only do I feel like a giant, mm -hmm. I feel like I know everything. Yeah. yeah. I get it. I just get a flash of it for a split second, then it's gone. And people yeah. say, no, I've never had that. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, it, I still keep going back to mm -hmm. the abused the child, the, the children we were. Mm -hmm. the, when I was 21, mm. I, was, uh, I had the arrogance to believe I'd experienced every emotion ever known mm. to man. I was wrong, mm. <laughs> I must say. But I still felt that strength. I still felt that you are privileged. You're given this, this burning rod 
of pain mm. when you're so young. And why you're given that is because you are chosen to bear it, mm. to show people how to manage it. Yeah. And, wow. and, and that's what we need. That's the, that's the thread that's running through my memoir. That mm. it, it is not a disadvantage no. to be abused. And, and everybody looks at someone. You, you look at someone that survived a, a plane crash. You're mm. in awe of them. You look at someone that comes out of the war alive, mm. mentally mm-hmm. intact and physically intact. Mm-hmm. You admire. We actually admire people that mm. have come through adversity. Yeah. And that is the lesson. Yeah. That is the, the thing. So we've got to re-educate our society Absolutely. into and looking think, at people yeah. that, that are underprivileged yeah. as the privileged. And also being the voice, you know, being the voice that, that you talked about for myself. Writing my memoir, what I talk about for me, it's about, as we're discussing, for me, it's, it's about this universal story, this universal story of love, this universal story of family, this universal story of belonging. And, you know, I'm tying that in with what you've just said. This universal story of enduring. Enduring, exactly. And, you know, when I think that there's others that are going through what we've gone through, I would have loved to have heard someone doing a podcast talking about their experience as we are doing now. I share my experience, strength, and my hope with those who are probably going through what we've been through or those who have been through what we've been through and, and come out the other end as well. Because there's something therapeutic, isn't it? It's the value of one person. It's that therapeutic value mm. of one survivor sharing with another survivor or whatever title they want to put on it. The, the one in four people that suffer this, this domestic uh, malaise, mm. this, this d- domestic pain, mm. that, that they have now been given the tools to show the other one in four how to manage, yeah. how to deal, how to rise out of that and triumph in life and yeah. how to be the, uh, the heroes of the world. Absolutely. But also, it's also acknowledging their journey. Acknowledging their pain. That all comes acknowledging to, all part of it. Their trauma, you know, acknowledging. Yeah. And be proud of it. I, I, not ashamed of it. Exactly. That not only, you know, are you going. Because, you know, there's this lovely saying, who feels it, knows it, who knows it, feels it. Yeah. <laughs> Great place to end. Great place. But also to acknowledge that, you know, um, we hear you. We hear you and you are not alone, whoever you are. Appreciate you coming in, man, to have this conversation with me and be part of this journey because it's another, it's another part of the journey. I'll man. always make you time know? to shed light on the truth. Yeah. And that's what it is. We're shedding light on the truth. It's not being buried anymore. And Absolutely. it starts right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's permission to, be, to stand and be counted and to be heard, you know? The truth has been buried for far too long, for too many centuries, for too many decades. And now we're just shedding light on it. And once you, you can only elevate yourself mm. properly through truth. Yep. And when it's suppressed, the truth is hidden. Absolutely. And right now, I feel free. I feel elated. 
and I feel absolutely an attitude of gratitude to um to big hug this. and fist bump. <laughs> big big hug. Big big hug. You're on the other side of the table, but we're going to hug after. Yeah. But honestly, Brilliant. big hug. My brother powerful yeah. thank you so much thank you you invited me nice one i'm privileged to be here Wonderful. how do you feel now is a production by jacaranda books publishers of my recently released memoir little big man and is now available everywhere that you can get your podcasts